1: to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And
2: I'm Jan Black.
1: And it is such a joy to welcome our guest on this episode, best-selling author and renowned spiritual and thought leader, Panache Desai.
2: His latest book is called You Are Enough, Revealing the Soul to Discover Your Power, Potential, and Possibility. Panash, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, thank you for having me on. It's great to be with you both.
2: Well, it's great to have you here. You say it is essential now more than ever that we look inside ourselves and embrace the truth that we are enough. And I'm wondering why is that often hard to do and why is it so essential?
3: It's essential because I've now had the pleasure of working with people for over 20 years consciously from all over the world and have had the pleasure of meeting people from all walks of life. And there's one commonality that we all share that we all have to overcome. And it's this feeling of not being enough. You know, it's the root cause of every addiction. It's the root cause of why we're not experiencing the intimacy that we want in our lives. It's the root cause of why we can't hold down a relationship. It's the root cause of why there's any dysfunction in relationship. It's the root cause of why we're not able to own them the money that we deserve to earn and take care of our families. You know, so, so what I've discovered in, in all of my work with people is this one singular commonality. And so as it relates to this time, it's more important than ever because we're living in an age of radical personal empowerment. And what we have to do is look to ourselves uh, to empower ourselves, to to relate to ourselves from a deeper perspective, right? So we have a body, but we're not our bodies. We have a mind, but we're not our mind. We have feelings, but we're not our feelings. There's this story that we have, but we're not the story, right? And then we've created this kind of identity, this self-image that we believe that we need to belong in the world. Only problem is that as much as we've perfected perfected the art of pretending and trying to fit in and trying to belong, there's still no fulfillment or a meaningful connection to be found. And so the only uh, last remaining possibility or area of exploration is within ourselves. And, and what I've discovered in working with people, again, from all over the world, is that that's where real belonging comes from. That's where the love that we're looking for comes from. That's where the abundance and the health and vitality that we're craving comes from. You know, to know yourself is to know everyone and uh, to to know the depth of who you are is is to be able to create a depth of relationship, not just with yourself, but with the world at large.
1: What would you say to somebody who maybe has low self-esteem or maybe they have done something in their past that they really regret and they just feel terrible about themselves and they say, you know what, I could never accept myself. I know what he's saying, that sounds great, but that's just not me.
3: Well, that which we're unwilling to embrace about ourselves just become, becomes the poison that we have to live with on a daily basis. And, and uh, what I would have to say to everybody is that, you know, everything that I'm sharing was born of a, a personal direct experience of the divine, whatever we want to call it. And, and in that experience, I just experienced this infinite ocean of energy with no beginning and no end, just this amazing love. And And it's beyond the word love. And I was shown very clearly that this is who we all are. And then actually, it didn't matter how we'd lived our lives. It didn't matter what we had done. It didn't matter what religion we were born into, our race, our nationality, our gender, our choice, of sexual preference, that there were no prerequisites to this love, that this is who we essentially are. And we've all gone through things in our lives that we feel you know, uh, were, were potential mistakes that we made or perceived mistakes that we've made. But we're at a point now where we have to unburden ourselves. And we have to realize that we're only as limited as we allow ourselves to be. And so if we're holding on to facets of guilt or shame or unworthiness, then what we're doing is denying ourselves the opportunity to truly live, right? To truly be alive. And so to somebody who's struggling in that way, I would say to you that you're not broken. You don't need healing. You don't need fixing. You only ever just did the best that you could. And I really mean that. You know, we're, we're, most of us, uh, sadly, are choosing from a place of pain. You know, we're, we're creating life from a place of fear. And so naturally, when we choose from pain and we choose from fear, we, we attract situations into our experience that aren't a reflection of who we really are. But you can't hold yourself hostage for the awareness that you didn't have back then, right? So it's all well and good looking back on, and back at yourself now from where you are now, having gone through the evolution and growth, and, and thinking that in some way you could have done better. The truth is that you couldn't have, right? That there's an absolute perfection with which life is unfolding. And that that wound, whatever that wound is for you, becomes the window through which grace comes flooding into your life, and it also becomes the space through which you get to offer your service and share the blessing that you are with the world at large.
2: So, how should we go about looking inside ourselves to find this true nature?
3: Well, at, at the end of the book, I, I, I speak of five commitments. Um, the, the first commitment is committing to knowing our essential self. You know, we are. So much more than we've been told. You know who, who we really are is this luminous presence. Uh, we've been conditioned and programmed to believe that we're a physical body and we solely exist in a material manifest world. And this is why we're struggling and suffering. The very second we begin to realize that we have this essential self, this authentic part of us that's natural to who we are, and we commit to knowing it, the more we're able to to peel away all of the layers that have been superimposed over it and we're able to once again reunite with it. This then allows us to to move on to the second commitment, which is committing to a new past, present, and future. You know, we have this uh, notion of time and that we're living inside of this thing called time. However, when we're fully present, we're not really inside of time. We're just fully available for what's happening in the moment. We realize that all there really is is now. And so how we unwind this notion of the past is by recognizing that memory requires heightened emotion so for example we don't remember an average day we just remember that we remember the hardest day that we've ever had or the happiest day that we've ever had and what we need to focus on for the purposes of of committing to a new past present and future are the hardest days that we've ever had the days where we felt sad the days that we there was some trauma there was something that happened and it's simply cultivating the courage to be willing to look at those parts of ourselves to embrace them to gather them up See, what's been missing on the Western transformational model is this notion of integration. You know, it's been very reductionist. It's been about getting rid of things. You know, you have to get rid of your ego. You have to get rid of your emotions. You're not going to get rid of anything. By virtue of the fact that you're human, you're going to have all of these things. And what you need to do is embrace them all, bring them all into your heart. And then you realize that there isn't a problem with any of these things. And so that then leads on to the third um, commitment, which is uh, a commitment to inner peace. Right? All of a sudden, you realize that the only commodity in life really is peace. You know, we, can, we can build companies that generate billions of dollars and you know, live this quote-unquote dream life. But if we're not at peace in ourselves, we're not able to enjoy a moment of it. And so source your actions and your choices from peace. You know, Do that which contributes to your peace, especially now with everything that's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads to the fourth commitment, which is the commitment to fulfillment. When we, where we start from is where we'll finish. So if we're embarking on a career, we're embarking, embarking on a relationship from this place of uh, deficiency or lack or need, then no matter how much we show up in that relationship and in that relationship dynamic, uh, we're never going to get the love that we're looking for. We're never going to get what it is that we want. So we have to start from fulfillment. We have to start from, I already am. You know, I already am love. I already am abundant. I already am health. And then our life begins to meet us At that level of feeling, because the other thing that we don't understand about life is that our life is responding to how we feel about ourselves. That's why when I wrote the book, it wasn't just about providing people an awareness on the mental level as to how they're not enough and to how how to overcome that, which is the biggest problem that we have right now in the world. It was about shifting at the level of feeling. When you feel like you're enough, then all of a sudden your your reality responds in kind, which Mm -hmm. then leads you to the final commitment, which is the commitment to unlimited possibilities. And that's my favorite one. Because when we're finally at peace with ourselves and we've ended our opposition to being who we are and we start to work with who we are and embrace our uniqueness, two things happen. We become less reactive and we experience heightened synchronicity. And that heightened synchronicity is unlimited possibilities. So through adhering to these five commitments, we're literally opening up to the truth of who we are and living from that expanded place Instead of that limited contracted place that's based in fear,
1: I'd love to talk a little bit about your own journey because you wrote this fantastic book, Discovering Your Soul Signature, and that was your first book. And it went on to become a best selling book. And Oprah had you on the show, and Oprah was a big believer in everything. And you were this really well known spiritual leader. And then you went through an experience that made you doubt the identity that you'd crafted for yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: So, my Oprah appearance was in February of 2013. Uh, Soul Signature, my first book, came out in April of 2014. And uh, shortly thereafter, we discovered that we were pregnant with our second set of twins. And uh, so, we were just riding this wave of just grace and blessings and just one amazing thing after another. And within the first uh, five months of, of that pregnancy, we, we had a phone call that no parent ever wants to get. And it was a phone call from uh, One of the doctors um, at the hospital where the the ultrasound was happening and basically just said, Mr. Desai, we're sorry to inform you that one of your twins uh, has an issue uh, with the heart and uh, you need to come up here for an emergency ultrasound so we can figure out, you know, what we're dealing with. And so Jan and I, my wife, uh, immediately got on the plane and flew up to um, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, we're there for this emergency ultrasound. And we were told immediately, uh, as soon as the ultrasound had finished, that um, the, the one of our babies, now Celeste, uh, was not going to make it. Uh, and that even if she did make it, uh, she would probably not live for very long or not enjoy any major quality of life. And so we went from these amazing highs uh, to all of a sudden, having our reality, as we had known it, fundamentally shaken to its core. And um, my wife was devastated. Um, I, I just felt such a sadness uh, on every level. And um, we began this journey, this medical journey of 18 months. Uh, she subsequently was born, uh, and within hours of being born, had her first open-heart procedure. Uh, was hospitalized for 18 months and went through four other open heart procedures. She died for eight minutes during one of them, flatlined for eight minutes and came back just as they were going to put her on life support and uh, finally received a heart transplant. And there was a moment in all of that where here I am, panash to um, you know, ready to basically just, you know, step into this role uh, that there was this kind of global kind of, role of um, spiritual transformation, personal development, and uh, was able to help everybody in the world with anything, uh, whether it be a business issue or a personal issue. And here I am, absolutely powerless as it relates to my own daughter. And in the height of this suffering, I uh, went down to the chapel that was in the hospital uh, during one of these intense moments where she was just having medical intervention after medical intervention. And I just fell to my knees and I just said, you know what, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, this is too painful. And I, I'm trying to keep it together and I'm trying to be strong and, you know, be available for everyone, but I'm dying. And in that moment, I just started crying and sobbing and uh, it was just kind of in this moment of just feeling the powerlessness, the complete powerlessness of the situation. And in that moment, I finally just said, okay, I'm willing to accept whatever it is that's in the best interest of this child. You know, I would like her to be here. I would like her to to live. I'd like her to make it through this, but in the event that she's not meant to, I'm willing to accept that. And the very moment I could surrender the outcome of Celeste's journey and just completely let go was the very moment that I finally was able to feel peace in my heart again. And this Eighteen month window initially, and now what's become a five year window, has been an intense period of a fundamental revision of everything that I deem to be important, everything that mattered, everything that seemingly uh, was relevant. Uh, none of it is honestly. Um, just being with my family, uh, sharing who I am in the world in a very simple way, um, just making whatever difference I can in whatever way I'm meant to, um, is enough for me. You know, I, I I don't need to, you know, be the next Deepak Chopra or take over from Wayne Dyer or fulfill any external metric or milestone as to what my impact is on this planet. You know, I, I've been cured of all of that. And, uh, and I am just happy and grateful every day. Uh, and when I'm sad, I just allow myself to be sad. When I'm, you know, feeling frustrated, I allow myself to feel my frustration. I am just in complete harmony with whatever's happening. And um, I have to say that it's a, a wonderful way of living. And how is Celeste doing now? She's doing great. You know, she's the boss baby of the house. You know, she's she's five. I mean, she runs my house. Uh, <laughs> she's a pistol. Um, you know, she's great. and you know, She's happy. She's healthy. Uh, she went through a bout of uh, rejection, but she's gone through that now. She's through the other side of it. And uh, she's a vivacious and um, very energetic Five year old. And so, you know, coming through the other side of this, um, we are now closer together uh, and we've worked out whatever we had to individually uh, as a family and as individuals. And we've grown as a result of it. And uh, through this period of time, You Are Enough, this next book came into form. And uh, it was very much born as a result of the journey that I'd gone through with Celeste and, and, and the message that I felt I really had to deliver into the world at this time. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to take one step back even further because when you were younger, you admit to valuing conformity over authenticity. I'm wondering when that changed. And this was
3: before your first book. So I basically, like all people, um, go went through life and you go through all kinds of different phases of your life. And very quickly you discover that everyone's pretending Uh, Even though everyone's a magnificent being, uh, they're pretending to show up as their limitations, and you know, in this kind of fear-based capacity, instead of just being the love that they are. And uh, because everyone else is doing it, you start doing it. And of course, that's the moment that you start suffering is the moment that you feel like you're not enough. And subsequently, went through my life uh, trying to find some sense of belonging outside of me, and I never did. Um, Got to university, got into university, and went to study philosophy, and my grandfather. who in any moment that he had would always tell me how fortunate I was. And he came to the UK with three pounds in his pocket and five kids and a wife so that I could have the life that I had said, well, what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? And, um, and so out of respect to him, I said, well, you know what, I, uh, you know, I'll I'll take law and business studies. So I didn't mind the law part because at least it was, um, engaging. I couldn't stand the business studies part. And, uh, Basically, it was just in this life that was just not me. I was just living a lie, like I was going through the motions on behalf of everyone else. And the suffering was just getting louder and louder and louder. Um, at one point, I'd got involved in music and was very involved in the music scene in the UK. And um, and I got into a place where nothing resonated with me anymore. Like I was just living an absolute fabrication of who I'd come here to be. And I sat down with my mother after a series of events and just said to her, mom, I'm living a lie. I just need to go live like a monk for six months because for the first five years of my life, my grandmother had raised me in a meditation room. And I basically would just pray and meditate and engage in devotional worship every day. And so I wanted to get back to that feeling. I knew I needed to get back to that authentic core of who I was. And so that was the moment where I kind of disengaged from the illusion, disengaged from the promise, you know, disengaged from all of these things that we're told that we need to be and that we need to become in order to be loved and went through a very deep period of, um, meditation, um, very cathartic period, moving, moving beyond all of the suffering that I'd accumulated throughout the course of my life in that 21 year window. And uh, then proceeded to once again, be reunited with all of the gifts that I'd had as a child. All these things that were happening through me started happening again. And that time, uh, became the the kind of catalyst that then has propelled me on to now you know be able to reach millions of people and, and support people in in transforming their lives and in helping them find some semblance of peace in the midst of everything that's going on in their everyday lives.
2: I love the way you begin your your new book, You Are Enough. You say you begin by saying it doesn't matter how your life has unfolded up to this point. I want you to remember this. Every single morning you open your eyes and win the mega million dollar lottery of being alive. Do you really think of that every morning when you wake up?
3: I wake up every morning like it's Christmas morning. Uh, you can ask my wife. Uh, I'm like a kid. I'm excited and I'm happy. Uh, there are some mornings where I wake up and you know, I'm sad and I'm going to do something and then I'll get on with being excited and being happy. But you know, the, the fact that I woke up, is never lost on me. The, the, The fact that I have the opportunity to have another day is never lost on me. You know, uh, in everything that I've gone through in my life, you know, I talk about it in the book when I was in London in the music scene it was it was a, a very kind of a, a violent time, right. And there was a lot of violence around me, thankfully that I uh, wasn't directly involved in. I had to, I was involved a couple of times and outlined those in the book, but you know, when death pays you a visit, you, you really value life. And, um, you know, the first time the death came to pay me a visit was in London. And then the second time that, death came to pay me a visit was with Celeste. And uh, the one thing that we've learned from all of this is that we just don't waste our time anymore. You know, there's nothing that's left unsaid. Uh, there's nothing that's left unexpressed. You know, whatever needs to be shared is shared. Um, I think that by being visited by death, we finally develop the courage to live. And so I wholeheartedly stand by that. Yes, the, the fact that we are alive, the fact that we're waking up, the fact that we're being given the gift of another day, regardless of what happened the day before we've got this gift of life and we can do with it whatever we want. We can continue to perpetuate the past and all the pain and the story and the suffering, which is all based on the fact that we're not enough. Or we can finally remember that we are enough and start to live that version of life. And uh, that's a much softer, gentler, more graceful version of being human.
1: I know from talking to some of my friends that a lot of them seem to have a really negative attitude about just starting each day with everything we're going through right now because they just feel like every day is the same, they stay in their pajamas, they're working from home, they can't go out, they feel so limited and held back from their normal routine. And I'm wondering how they could really train their minds to have a grateful attitude like you in the morning and how they can use this quarantine time To really feel like they're enough and and
3: heal themselves. Well, I think this is an amazing opportunity to just become honest, to just really become profoundly honest about what we're living for and uh, what the purpose of our life is. You know, uh, many of the people that are home right now uh, don't enjoy their jobs anyway. Uh, Also, they're now navigating the fact that they're in relationship dynamics that aren't loving, right? That aren't a reflection of what they want. And so we're all being given an amazing opportunity to take a look at how we're living and what we're living for. And I think what we're being asked to do is to choose love and our well-being over everything else. And so what's going to happen is people are going to either make the most of this time by not blaming others, by not pointing the finger at other people. They're They're either going to take some sense of personal responsibility and accountability for what's going on in their own lives and using this time to begin to get clear about the choices and decisions that they have to make. Or they're going to miss the opportunity completely and think that something's being imposed on them and that uh, they're just going to spend all of their time being upset at how everything's being managed externally. And they're going to miss the greater opportunity. Uh, What I can say to you is that, you know, I've been doing these global call to calm meditations every day. We've got thousands of people live from all over the world, tens of thousands are tuning in via replay from all over the world. I mean, if there was ever any evidence that we needed that people were ready to kind of wake up and to begin to operate from a place of being enough, then that's it right there. You know, people are literally um, finding a place of calm and finding a place of love inside of themselves and being able to make choices and decisions from that place of calm and from that place of love. And, um, you know, people people get to pass through this window of time um, and make the most of it, or they get to do it all over again. You know, the, the next time there's some kind of a crisis or some kind of an issue, they'll just be right back where they started and then they'll be forced to make the choices that they didn't make now. So this is a very powerful time, uh, as much as it's a, a sad time because of the, the loss of human life and just to show sure scale it with, with, with which everything is unfolding. You know, every time I watch the news and I see what's happening all over the world, I remember, I, I just hold in my heart all of those people that have transitioned and I don't want them to have transitioned in vain. I, I, I want to, 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 to honor them by making every effort that I have available to me to be of service and to fundamentally overhaul the way I'm living and to continue to redefine and explore what I'm living for.
2: Tell us more about the Call to Calm sessions that you're offering every day. What, what are those all about and how can people join in?
3: So um, when everything first happened, uh, I, I had an awareness that we would be where we are uh, actually right now in January, uh, because I had realized at that point that uh, this particular coronavirus was very contagious and it wasn't going to be uh, able to be um, mitigated in China, that it would spread all over. And so I was on a book tour, book came a national bestseller, and then we received the signal that I was waiting for, which was the World Health Organization declaring this a global pandemic. And uh, in the moment that happened, I called uh, Chris, who's the CEO of my company. I said, Chris, listen, uh, we need to cancel everything through May the 1st uh, initially. And we need to be available for everyone in the world right now who's going through something. You know, I'm responsible for millions of people all over the world. I need to be available to them. And I said, what I would like to do, please, is every morning offer a call to calm. and The reason why I advocated on behalf of that is because the calmer we are, the more neutral our nervous system is and the more we can boost our immunity. I also realized the power of that collective calm. You know, right now there are so many people that are in panic, that are in fear, you know, everything that's that's kind of in them at the level of survival is being activated. And so the more we can get together and kind of be this buffer in this place of calm all over the world the more we're able to mitigate some of these survival energies that are showing up right now in people. Uh, and so that was the first thing that I instituted. And so we just created a, a, a page on, on the website, uh, panashtasai.com. And uh, it's all about support through this time of crisis. And there are all of the ways in which you can be supported now in what you're going through. Uh, those global call to calms are at 9am Eastern every day uh, and they will carry on until uh, everything is finished in relationship to this uh, coronavirus and then probably beyond that as well uh and then um there are lots of other opportunities to connect and be supported as well and so uh in the event that you can't get them live there's a replay that goes up at 1 11 p.m in through all of my social media channels so you can go to the facebook page and go to instagram and you can re-watch it there Uh, but they've been amazingly powerful and incredibly beneficial to people all over especially now
1: yeah, I know I can imagine. I mean, they just seem like wonderful opportunities that we can all kind of start our day with and mm-hmm. and put ourselves in a good space. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. So at the end of each program, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? And you seem to just have an endless amount that we can learn from. But what is it that nobody told you about becoming in harmony with our true selves that you wish they had long before you started on your own journey as a spiritual leader.
3: Nobody told me that who I was was enough.
2: Wow. Wow. I wish we could all get in touch with We're that just in, to and keep it, it, in it in mind all, all the time. I mean, yeah. Especially now. Yeah. 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 Well, Panash, we thank you so much for joining us. Our thanks to Panache Desai. Again, his latest book is called You Are Enough, Revealing the Soul, to discover your power, potential, and possibility. And his website is panachdesai.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.